0: Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, the Switch has landed, and I have some thoughts on Nintendo's latest hardware. Activision want your money, perish the thought. Remember No Man's Sky? An update actually arrived for that game this week, and this week's book club asks some of the big questions, mainly, what the fuck is a rogue like? Let's get on with the show. link to the cast episode 57 i am your party host dave ryan joined as i am every week on the couch beside me by the platforming prodigy that is mark robinson mark how are you i like the yankee candle you've you've lit up yeah i've lit what is it what what fragrance is it we're big fans of candles in the house because sometimes it's too cold to air out a room oh well and also it's a house with four men so yeah the scented candle goes a long way yeah i
1: am the candle commandant
0: of the yeah you like- <laughs> <laughs> you and your alliteration, I honestly. I tend to pepper candles around the place yeah. just to freshen up.
1: Yeah, although we didn't really have any lit up over
0: over the winter period. I do in my room. I tend to keep one <gasps> oh, burning okay. in the evenings. All right. Um, God, you're... You... Mel is out. I I put it does. I put that in
1: the same category as like a leather bound book and yeah. you know maybe a cigar. It's
0: one of the things I've come to appreciate in living independently since mm-hmm. I moved out of the family home. It's
1: a good candle. Uh, yeah, it's I figured. I, I figured
0: it when I was living when I lived in college for a year. It was um, th- that winter was there was an epic snowfall here about six or seven years. It was, God, seven years ago at this point when I was living there, and um, it was the the joke in our house used to be. It was so cold in our house because of this winter and we had no heating that to warm up the house, you would have to open the window.
1: I have remembered you, you've expressed
0: this. genuinely snow up to the bottom of the windowsill. Yeah. That's yeah. how bad it was. now, it wasn't a very high windowsill, but it's still quite substantial for Ireland. Um, and I learned during that winter the power of just lighting a candle. It just freshens up the place because sure. the air gets terrible stale if yeah. you don't let it circulate through a house. So uh, since I moved here, we've been living here five years now. Uh, I have kept us in a steady supply of candles. Um, yeah, that was a tangent I wasn't expecting to take. <laughs> How was
1: your week, pal? Oh, it was all right. I saw Lego Batman because you know I am a man who stays on top of his films. <laughs> yeah,
0: Captain Current, I told yeah. you when you sent me that review. Yeah, I'll, I'll
1: give you my Logan review in about four weeks' time. Yeah, well, I've got one here okay, for you hot grand. off the presses cool. shortly. Uh, I'll quick. Yeah, I really enjoyed Lego Batman. It was yeah. good fun. Really um,
0: good. And you didn't pick up on the. I was disappointed. Although, no, you know, I, you don't see things. No. So uh, I, I said to Mark, and for anyone, the, the movie's now for a month, so skip the next 30 to 40 seconds if you don't want this reference spoiling you. I said to Mark uh, to watch out for the most pinpoint excellent reference to a terrible movie I've ever seen in a big kind of commercialized film like that. Uh, and Mark got back to me and was like I have no idea what you were talking about
1: honestly do you know what I was expecting because Will on it and Michael Cera in it I was expecting a, an Arrested Development
0: I mean yeah their whole relationship is a real callback to Job and George Michael which I was very much enjoying like, yeah. without ever going too heavy on it just the, the relationship the two of them have is kind of Job and George Michael but uh, yeah they make a reference to the um, oft maligned and rightly so uh, martial arts movie Jim Carter. Which is one of my particular favorites. Yeah, just it,
1: it, it passed me by. But regardless look of that, look up the
0: trailer to Jim Cat on YouTube. If you get a minute, guys, it's a it's a real treat.
1: Regardless of that, the, the film is enjoyable. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, it was better than Batman versus Superman. Um, it, it managed yeah. to be
0: a great Lego movie, a great Batman movie, a great kids movie, and a great grown ups movie all at the same time.
1: Yeah, like it's surprising because you think of before even the 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 first Lego movie, like you think of what. A, a Lego movie is going to be and you're just expecting some kind of kids film that's just heavily just like Here, here's the license go ahead but like I mean the cast for both of these films yeah. is is insane
0: well I think we're going through an era now of where kids movies a lot of them people are acknowledging that the people who are really suffering through kids movies are parents and it's been that for a long time Yeah. so throw in enough content or you know enough good story or, or like some level of humour that the adults are actually going to appreciate as well there's been a real uptake in that kind of stuff. Like, when we were growing up, there were a few good shows on TV that were very good at that, that when you look back at them now, there's a lot of jokes you missed because they were really clever sure. uh, and in there for the adults. Animaniacs and Freakazoid, the two Steven Spielberg Warner Brothers cartoons, were rife with stuff.
1: I saw an incredible. Um, someone put uh, an Instagram post up the other day of Animaniacs it's when it's the like fingerprints one. It's the fingerprint, yeah, one. yeah,
0: yeah. It's incredible. It's yeah. That's that. That's the real one. That like, oh my god. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Freakazoid, which is, it goes some way towards explaining why I am the way I am. We still
1: haven't watched that since you purchased that. So have incredibly,
0: you? I bought the US imports, but I have to figure out how to make region unlock that Blu-ray ah, player. Okay. I never looked it up, All Right. but I will do that. Because we need to watch that show.
1: Just drape an American flag over it.
0: But there's other shows like Fairly Odd Parents and stuff like that over the years that are really good at layering in jokes for the grown-ups. And now a lot of Disney movies and Pixar movies and the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie are really good at that. That I go to a kid's movie now and there's just as much stuff in there that I don't think kids will get at all. Yeah.
1: Um, Was was Storks like that?
0: Yeah, Storks has, has a lot of good stuff. I still need to see that. Like the, that. The
1: thing as well with the the Lego Batman movie is like it's it's basically a spoof movie, and we had a period of the the mid two thousands up until recent where all the spoof movies were just fucking awful, like bait uh, Movie I and all those. I still
0: like the first scary movie that, because yeah, it was, of
1: course, but because yeah. but after that it was just playing on the same and tropes. of
0: course, Airplane. And, yeah,
1: the, the other classics but you man. had that period of like date movie and all those films yeah, that yeah. were awful but this is like a spoof movie but it's it's
0: it's it's an homage more than a spoof I would and say and it's
1: so it so knows the content that it's working mm. with
0: it, it makes fun of the silliness inherent to Batman like yeah. how weird it is that a, a lonely grown man hangs out with a child all the time yeah. and uh, like the silliness of sixties Batman in particular is is brought on, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite things is the repeated jokes. But just how silly the B and C tier Batman villains are. Yep, because Batman has some great A tier villains. We've we said a number it of times. Drops off sure. so quick. The my favorite appearance in that film is Condiment King. Yeah, <laughs> oh, good Lord. And I'm gonna have
1: to watch it again because. I remember reading about it, but I completely forgot, and I didn't remember again until the credits, that Eddie Izzard is Voldemort, and uh-huh. I completely forgot, uh-huh. so I need to watch Even it again though now. the
0: guy who plays Voldemort is in is, the fucking is... film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, anyway. Tell, tell me the Concords
1: is in there as well. Yes, yes. He's in fucking everything at the moment. He is. Um, Moana. He was great no, in Moana. He was very good. Anyway, tell me about Logan.
0: Uh, Logan. I'm keep gonna, the spoilers. I'm keeping or... it keeping the spoilers to a minimum. Yeah. Uh, it only came out last week, so that would be completely unfair. Um... So, Logan is the third attempt at a solo Wolverine movie. And someone points out that Hugh Jackman is... It was Movie Bob pointed this out in an excellent review of Logan. So, Hugh Jackman is pretty much only a top-tier movie star, or considered so, because he's played Wolverine. And the vast majority of movies that Wolverine has been in are terrible. Mm-hmm. Or, like, at best, they're mediocre. Mm-hmm. I still think, before this movie, the best... Uh, Wolverine was in X-Men 2 and even more specifically than that the scene in the mansion when Stryker's men come in I think I mentioned this on the show with Brian before if not with you Yeah, where he that's where he goes proper berserker rage Wolverine like where he um he pins a guy to the refrigerator with his claws and screams in his face with rage. Like, and That's
1: Wolverine. And here's the thing, because I haven't seen the second Wolverine film, <sighs> but if we're just going off of the first one, which yeah. is one of the worst films I've yeah. ever seen, f- like he's still good as Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. You know everything his about the performances that,
0: are always. Fantastic, yeah. yeah, everything about that film. The he like, He's become just... synonymous with with Wolverine. Absolutely. Um, yeah. he's had one, as you said, terrible Wolverine movie. That's X Men Origins Wolverine which ruins Wolverine's origins which ruins Sabretooth which ruins uh, Weapon X which for a long time ruined Deadpool yeah. <laughs> uh, as well as being the the first movie that had Gambit in it and fucked oh, that Jesus completely um and as
1: well cuz I really like Stryker in X-Men 2 um, because it's played by a, uh Brian Cox Brian Cox who I think like he's one of my Not favorite Professor actors. Brian Cox. <laughs> no no no. Uh, Brian Cox of Super Troopers fame. Yes. <laughs> Um, and like, he's just, he's just fucking bland as anything in the original, uh, Wolfram, the Oranges movie. Um, so I haven't seen the second one, um, um, but I'm it's, told that's it's just bland. boring. Yeah. It's
0: boring. Uh, coolest part in that is that there is a little bit of Easter egg where you see the classic Wolverine helm from the comics, okay. uh, which is the closest I can conclusively say now in all Wolverine films to him actually wearing the fucking suit. Sure. <laughs> Um, he makes a reference in one of the X Men First Class movies. That's the other, the other movie in which he is a great Wolverine. Uh, he has a completely great part as Wolverine without being ruined. Is when he's in X Men First Class for a hot fucking yeah, second. I tell the fuck, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Um. So Logan is set in a near future, and I'm only going to give away details that are in the trailers. Um. It's set in a near future where pretty much all uh, mutants are either dead or in hiding mm-hmm. it's never it's, it's sort of it's never satisfactorily explained what happened to all the mutants it's not like they go well, this is what happened to this guy this guy this guy this guy this guy but there are references made to where the rest of them are
1: how much of Old Man Lo- Logan does it Take from it,
0: can't really take an awful lot of it because most of the other characters that appear in that are Marvel Studios properties, uh, like right. Hulk sure. and, and uh, like
1: Hawkeye. For me, because th- is this a continuation of the first class films or is this from the original? This is X-Men
0: post X Men 3. Okay, right. Um, but you gotta remember that Days of Future Past sort of retconned <laughs> yeah, X3, it,
1: it kind of throws everything
0: out, yeah. doesn't it? so basically it's a near future where Wolverine has grown old I think they mentioned the year 2029 at one point okay. so I'm thinking it's around then uh, and Wolverine has gotten old to the point where he's over a century old at this point um because you see him in the trenches in the first world war I think in Wolverine origins so he is over 100 <laughs> yeah years you old. do yeah um and he he's gotten to the point where his claws don't pop the way they used like he's getting old like so his claws are kind of it's hinted that they're kind of arthritic Mm -hmm. and his healing factor has slowed down and he's clearly kind of just broken down and old and sick and he's hiding out over the Mexican border with uh, Charles Xavier and he's kind of making his bones as a limo driver and all of a sudden he's thrust into this world where there are bounty hunters coming looking for a girl that has abilities that are very reminiscent of Wolverine himself, and he becomes thrust into a situation where he needs to look after this girl and get her to safety. While these awful people, uh, led by the guy who plays one of the two DEA agents in Narcos, not the one who was in Game of Thrones, honestly,
1: in the trailer, I thought it was Val Kilmer. It's not,
0: <laughs> but um. It's, uh, first thing, it's a terribly R-rated movie. It is obscenely violent. Yeah,
1: they've really gone like Sung ho now. You get
0: some R-rated claw fights up in this motherfucker. He, he, Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it is right in your face violent. Okay, it's fantastic. Right. Um, it is bleak as anything. It is so depressing because there is, you can tell from the trailers that, professor xavier is not quite there anymore that he's he's faded somewhat and there's there's a line in it that's fantastic which is about how um you know is it possible that the the he had there's some sort of degenerating illness in the most dangerous mind in the world um which is a real trouble which, which makes him basically just like a live nuclear weapon sure yeah um the The whole film, anyway, just to just to sum it up, the the whole film is brilliant. It's it's arguably the best X Men film, uh, and uh, definitely dramatically, it's the best X Men film because I think the the out of the X Men universe films, Deadpool is probably the best. Hmm. After that, it's X Men First Class and X Men Two. Yeah, uh, I think as a dramatic piece, it's probably the best of the lot. It's really good at <laughs> it. Sounds really weird. It's really good at disappointing you. Um, like in the way that kind of and this sounds really negative but in the way that life is disappointing sure, that like yeah. it's just it's a really good character study of th- that just tragic kind of ep- like epitome of rage that is that Wolverine character and just ha- it's amazing there are, um, there are great turns in it from obviously Hugh Jackman from Patrick Stewart um, the language is very R-rated as well, which is great. I think if you took a drink every time someone said fuck in the movie, you would be in hospital by about um, halfway through.
1: So it's definitely not a family-friendly film. No,
0: um, and there's great small roles in it from that guy from Narcos, from Richard E. Grant uh, of Withnail and I fame, mm-hmm. uh, and from other English... Uh, Stephen Merchant. Yeah, I sure his name Steve. Steve Stephen that Merchant is me. Caliban. Uh, in it who you will recognize as being played by somebody else in Apocalypse he's the tracker guy I actually still haven't seen Apocalypse oh have not it's, no. it's in the shelf you should watch it it's, it's, sure it's, it's alright yeah I do it's, all right. it's not as good as... I like Oscar Isaac so yeah, yeah. Isaac Oscar. Um, yeah good movie definitely two thumbs up recommend cool. and by next week's podcast I'm going to have a review of Kong Skull Island for you I will oh, see that in the morning yeah. yeah. anyway playing this week hey check it out I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Well, Mark, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be all sunshine and light this week with I'm playing, so I'm gonna leave you get something out of the way first, get uh-huh. something off your chest, all son. Right. You, my friend, have been playing the Last Guardian, yeah, which I warned you about, yeah, before look, look. we before we head off anywhere.
1: I know, I know. I had to see it for my own eyes. I had to play it for myself. <laughs> now, I wasn't one of these people that were, like, banking on playing this at some point in the next ten years. Like, I like Ico, and I, I really like Shadow of the Colossus, but mm-hmm. I wasn't like, this game has to come out and I have to play it. If it never happened, it never happened,
0: whatever. I think part of that you'd been beaten down into assuming it was never going to come out. Partially, that kind of, yeah. That suppressed the desire quite a bit. Um, but the
1: game came out, and a lot of people were simply like, hey... This game is pretty cool in the relationship that is built between the kid and Trico, Mm -hmm. but everything else is kind of broken. Mm. But that's the kind of thing that you can only really see for yourself, you know, when you actually play it yourself. Um, So, you know, we had a chat last year when you played it and you told me about it, and I don't think it really showed up anywhere in our end of the year uh, podcast at all. No,
0: I was kind of like, I appreciate what it's going for, and I appreciate the kind of charm the game had. But in terms of how it controlled and how the camera handled, uh, I couldn't in all good conscience put it on any sort of personal list, let alone our collective list. Sure. It wasn't an experience I 100% regretted, but it's not one I would be eager to revisit.
1: So here's the thing. I really appreciate, um, very early on, the way that the game develops this very kind of organic relationship between you and Trico and how... um, you know, just the small interactions, the small mannerisms of this giant fuck-off dog bird. Um, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, I remember when Ken Levine was banging on about Bioshock Infinite and Elizabeth and how, like, Elizabeth is this NPC, but, you know, she kind of reacts like a real person. She acts reacts to everything that's around her. And to a certain degree, yes, I agree with that. To a certain degree, I think that didn't really work the, as good as it could have. Here it works, I think, a lot better because the scale is dramatically reduced and this isn't a character that's used as kind of a plot device as well. So we, I can just focus on, hey, look, there's like a large pool of water. The dog is... dog bird, Trico, is rolling around in it like a, a giant dog bird, I guess, would. Um, and it's really nice. And then there's the bits where you have the fucking demon glowing night stalker creatures. And once you've had uh, an encounter with them... You kind of jump up on him and you try and kind of rub him and calm him down. And I really like that. And yeah. I really like the bits where, you know, he just kind of comes over to you and you give him a little kind of pep on, on the nostrils or whatever. It's really nice. You know, I, I think those moments work really well in in developing this bond between you and, and Trico. The problem is, is everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're in a confined space and you've got you, Trico and a wall. And oh, the- yeah. And the camera... It's
0: you, Trico, ver- you and Trico versus the wall and the camera.
1: The camera just... It pings itself to the back of your head. Yeah. And at some point... And, you know, I can see what they were trying to do here as a failsafe. Where they've... The, the screen blacks out. Because the camera tries to recess itself in a yeah. position where you can see what's going on. And the moment you move, you end up with the camera right back behind you again. And I'm thinking... Mario 64 came out 20 years ago. And... And we're still fucking it, this up.
0: It reminded me of early PS One games uh-huh. where they they still couldn't figure out the um, the three the moving a camera in the 3D space or giving camera agency over to the player. It couldn't decide between letting you control the camera and snapping the camera back by itself.
1: And, uh, and the whole and time you, as well. You kind
0: of uh, from a design standpoint, you have to commit to one or the other. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up with this kind of exactly. A hot mess. And, I'm,
1: and the whole time I'm thinking this is what they were fucking with for 10 years you know yeah. um, because let's be honest maybe
0: like, that's what they were doing they were in a room for 10 years going free control <laughs> no we must control the camera
1: and like it's you know they weren't dealing with the story because I mean I'm only about four hours in but I mean I really like the way they present the the narrative for what there is like it's yeah. the kid as an older version of him telling the he's encounters with Trico and, and mm. everything that happens I really like that that's really cool yeah um, and now, like, it's been well documented about this game. I'm not a stickler for, for frame rate. Like, I can like, easily accept a game that drops to, like, 20 to 25, um, frame rates per second. As, as long as the game is still kind of playable. Once it's steady. Exactly. But yeah. this, like, the moment you go into any kind of open area with foliage, or the moment you have to deal with those Night Stalker creatures, mm-hmm. the game just kind of grinds to a halt. Yeah. And it borderline becomes unplayable Mm -hmm. uh and again like all right fair enough we're dealing with a game here that was originally going to come out early on the ps3 and we've had this kind of go through however many iterations to the point that it's now on the ps4 and on the ps4 pro as well um but still like uh, yeah the, the game is incredible to look at but at the same time how much is actually going on you know like Trico is obviously the kind of main core kind of aspect uh, in terms of animation in terms of like its feathers and all the the kind of uh, polygons that go along with that you know there's clearly a lot going on there but in terms of the architecture at points there are times where there's not that much going on and it just it boggles my mind that this game feels as broken as it is and even five months later after however many patches they've put out for it which I haven't looked up but it doesn't really feel like it's been that many at all um, I want to finish this game it's making it difficult for me yeah, on though. top of the fact as well that neo Automata is out and apparently is fucking incredible and it's like a return to form for Platinum yeah. so yeah we'll see what happens yeah
0: quite something that anyway
1: game. tell it's me about something. the switch
0: oh the nintendo switch it's right <laughs> here in front of us or right here beside us uh on the table so uh i didn't get the well it is a launch switch i didn't get it on launch day i was away last weekend as we talked about on the show last week picked it up on my way home on monday had uh three days now uh, to play with it uh and i have my thoughts and my reviews are in Allow me to consult my notes, my friend.
1: You've got quite a few.
0: Yes. um, The first thing, I'm going to go pluses and minuses because the two things I want to talk about here are the two things I have messed with, and that is the Switch hardware itself and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which to no one's surprise is the game that I bought with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also have One Two Switch and Fast Remix and Snipper Clip, or Snipper Clips, but I have not really touched those yet. I want to give those a real go. I'll be on the road this weekend with some friends. Uh, we're probably going to try it out. Uh, I will come back with reviews of them next week. The hardware. Let's talk about the hardware. I'm going to do pluses and minuses for both of these. So let's get the positives out of the way first. Uh, the form factor. So the way the the kind of the hardware presented, how it feels, uh, and the kind of the the decisions they've made with regards how the, the hardware fits together and all that sort of stuff, uh, it, it feels fantastic in your hands, um, either as a tablet with a controller snapped on the side, uh, whether you have the Joy-Cons, these infamous Joy-Cons snapped onto a charging cradle or a non-charging cradle, that feels, even though it... You know, it, we've seen the pictures of it looking like the sad puppy dog. Sure. It looks strange, but when it's actually... And I gave it to you to feel in your hands. When it's actually in your hands, it makes sense. And it feels like a standard... When you're not looking at it, it just feels like a standard controller. It, it doesn't, in your hands, feel like it's this weird square with a couple of... Because uh, that's very much what it looks like. Yeah, it looks but awkward. But doesn't it be like, mm. just from you had it for a minute. I had it for a minute, so I couldn't really give any kind of fair assessment on it. It 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 feels fine, and it's not like a kind of thing where the only thing I have to look at the controller for every now and then is to know where the plus and minus button is because they're up high, uh, very very high and towards the center. Yeah, I
1: mean, I need to spend more time on that because, like, Mm. From the outside, like the Vita looks like it's fine control wise, yeah. but that's actually a fucking nightmare to use after a five minutes. Like, yeah, me.
0: If if for nothing else, the back touchpad can uh, fuck can off. Fuck off. Yeah. Have you yeah. Uh, used the Pro Controller yet? Yes, I have, okay. and I will. I will get to that. Ah, sure. <laughs> um, the 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 dock that uh, puts it into the TV is really nice. It's a small bit of plastic. It has a little panel in it that snaps back, allows you to uh, neatly fit in all the wires. There's slots for a HDMI, uh, a USB, and uh, the AC adapter that go in the back, and then there are two additional USB ports on the front. It's all neat and tidy. Um, it's tiny. There's a picture up on my Twitter account, at IV of it sitting beside uh, a PS4 Pro, just to show you how tiny it is. The um, tablet itself is quite small. I would say if you imagine, uh, it's about double the size of a Vita, like in your hands, the whole device with the controller snapped on the side, wouldn't you say something about that? Yes, yeah, I'll go with Vita. that. Um, it, it doesn't feel like, even though the screen is smaller than your average tablet and it's smaller than some people might think it is. When you're playing it, it doesn't actually feel that small. The only game where I thought, okay, I could do with this being blown up a bit more, was Fast Remix. And that's a game where I wouldn't be playing that uh, from a distance uh, uh, when it's propped up on its kickstand. Sure. I'd either be playing it up close with the controller snapped to the side, or I'd be playing it on the TV. So that's not really a big deal. Um, Each mode feels different. Um, so it, it feels like you're playing a big portable console that's cool when you have the controller snapped to the side it feels just like a standard home console when you're playing it on the controller or with your pro controller when it's docked into the tv and it feels completely different again if you're trying to play with one of the little joy cons by itself uh, which i've only dicked around with for a couple of minutes because i haven't really gotten into any of the games that utilize that um and uh what's the third mode it also feels cool if you prop it up on the kickstand and you have a controller. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel weird or out of place. It feels really cool uh, and handy. Um, the UI is revolutionary for Nintendo <laughs> in how clean and simple it is. You boot up the UI. It boots up very quickly, which is another one of my positives. And all you've got is, you've seen it, a series of tiles across the top, which are your, um, like your, your, your game tiles. And then along the bottom, you have just a, a news tab, a settings tab, um, the sleep mode uh, button, the eShop, and uh, the profile. Yeah, you can see it. they've
1: clearly taken the the tile based layout of both uh, the PS4 and the Xbox One, mm-hmm. and like it simplified is. simplified it even further obviously yeah they've got even and to be fair i mean consider at these barebone stages there's not going to be a lot there and that's all i
0: think you would need to do to add that is i think maybe add one more along the bottom eventually when the streaming video apps come in sure there's just a little tab for apps yeah sure that maybe when you hit that it changes all the top uh tiles from games to whatever apps you have that's simple uh, they offer two different theme colours, white and black. I opted for black just because it's easier on the the kind of the, the, the light that's shooting into your eyeballs. Uh, the, the amazing thing for me out of everything so far is the eShop. This is literally my next point. Is the, the eShop has, has been revolutionised. They have thrown out the garbage that was the Nintendo eShop on Wii U and 3DS. It is simple. You come in. It has the, uh, here are your releases. You can sort them. Um... Here are the games that are coming soon and your settings for the eShop. That's all you need. It is quick to buy things. You don't have to watch a fucking present open on your thing. It just downloads and it's there. Download speeds seem pretty quick even if the... Even if the console is on, which is something that the PS4 cannot say. Because their download speeds are wildly erratic. If the console is turned on, it really mm-hmm. needs to be in sleep mode to remain constant, that we discussed on the floor, on the show before. There's
1: a really good article where I read about that uh, not too long ago about why that is. I can't remember where it is, mm. um, but it, it... oh yeah, I,
0: I think I may have read it out on the show with Brian when I found out that that's oh, the really? problem. Okay. I know I went and researched that yeah. because I was like, why is this happening? Anyway, um, there's no real perceivable, uh, like hugely perceivable drop in the quality of gameplay. When you take it out of the the TV and you're playing around with it. The draw distance isn't quite as good, but in terms of the clarity of image and uh, how responsive and quick the gameplay is, it, it's all perfect. I am easily uh, just as comfortable playing Zelda remotely, like uh, bringing the, the console around the house or sitting around here as I was at the table waiting for you to come in, as I am playing it up on the big TV upstairs. Mm. Also, the docking in and out, I would say there's about half a second in between when you dock that in and it pops up on the TV and vice versa when you take it out and it pops back up on the screen.
1: Now, there have been people that have been uh, worried about scratching the the, the device itself. Like, yeah. does it
0: look now, like there's any way that you feel that to that me, can happen? To me, if you either are just tossing it in carelessly... Because it operates... It, the best way to describe it to people who had a Wii U is it's very similar to the way you used to sit the tablet into the charging cradle. Mm. So it's not like there's a big uh, USB cable jutting up and you have to slot it in. It's, you just gently sit it into the cradle. So if you toss it in, I could see how it could get scratched or damaged. Or if you put it in backwards. But it's to me, without even having to look at the manual, it was fairly intuitive which way I had to point it. So if you're fucking about I could see how you could damage it or if maybe the something happened to the the dock in shipping that it was bent in a little but to me there's enough room around it that you can easily slot it in once you're taking care. The rail system for snapping on the Joy-Cons either side as well is really easy to use, much easier than I thought and um it they don't come off. You would think one thing they didn't really explain very well was um, the there's actually buttons on the back that release it from the rail system. So it's not like if you jerk suddenly with the Joy-Cons in your hand on the tablet, the tablet will just slide out or the Joy-Cons yeah. will just slide off. You have to be holding down these buttons to slide them off. So it's easy. Um, the booting and loading is very quick because the games are game cards as opposed to disk-based operating system. The games have very, very short loading times, if any at all. Now we've uh, seen one potential negative of that, which I'm—I don't know if you've
1: got in the news—about uh, a game that's coming out for Switch that originally was coming out for PS4 and Xbox One first. Uh, Ryan, yes, is it in the that's news. In okay. the news, cool. Um,
0: the, there is one load time. Uh, the when you boot up the console, it's a couple of seconds, and you're on the home screen, if that. Um, when you load up Zelda, which is the probably the most intensive of the launch games in terms of the, the scale of the thing, um, you're talking about maybe 10 to 15 seconds, uh, an initial load once you hit continue game or new game. Once you're in the world then, there's no loading as you wander around. There's a couple of seconds if you go into a dungeon or a shrine and a couple of seconds if you die. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. That is the real benefit to using a card versus a disc, and they have capitalized on that already. Um that's good. Just talk to me as well. How bad do those cartridges taste? So bad.
1: <laughs> I, I, I opened And the... just remind the people as well, you are a fully grown man yes, who yes. has been told. I not opened to... the
0: case and it's just because of those stories and because of that fad of it going around, it was like I looked at it and I went for a second, I was like, "No, no, I'm not gonna do it." And I was like, "I have to know, I have to know." And I tweeted out, "It is so much worse than like people have really been underplaying just how bad and bitter that taste is." I couldn't hold it on my tongue for more than a second; it was awful. Like, um, is it is it an, an acidity type taste? Is it's it... it's a, it's a bitter acid-y taste? Okay, it's like um. It's like someone has sprayed like kitchen cleaner on it. I'm you've sure it. you've had you've had a beer at some point that was worse than that. No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um it's it's light. Everything about it there is there is no real it's um, lighter than the tablet for the Wii U when you're holding it as a tablet. The dock is a light piece of plastic. Everything is light. It's easy. Uh, and then my my final uh, pro about the hardware is the Pro controller is a fucking great piece of tech. Um, the charge time for the uh, the Joy Cons separately is about I think ten to twenty hours depending on what you're doing if they're out of the um, the tablet. Uh, but the the Pro controller is two or three times more than that again. It's a, it's a ridiculous amount of time for uh, a wireless controller. Uh, And it just, it feels as good as any controller for any console, like an Xbox One controller or a DualShock 4. It it just feels like like a good controller.
1: It looks like the model is very much kind of based off of a a 360 or an Xbox One controller. Yeah. Um, Again, it'll
0: take you a little bit, it'll take you a little bit of time to remember where the home button is on it and where the plus and minus button is. Sure. It's... Um, you can confirm as well that there is an issue with the left Joy-Con. This is um, just moving on to the, the negatives now. So the I haven't read your notes, honestly. Yeah, I know, Morris. you keep coming to them as I'm talking. <laughs> I think it's because I laid this out in my head in the way I thought we'd be talking about okay, it. Okay, fair enough. So the negatives. Uh, the Joy-Con desync issue is real if you are holding the controller away from the console for... Uh, a length of time that would break the the connection between console and controller, the left Joy-Con, not the right one, no problem ever with the right one. Um, the left one starts to desynchronize. Now, it. the one thing I will say is that it is a relatively quick process to resynchronize it, but it's something you shouldn't have to do. Sure. Um, if you are 10 to 15 feet away, that's when it starts happening as well, even if you are holding it in a straight line. Um, if you cover it with your hand, the left controller that breaks it as well. Um, these things have been mitigated for me slightly by the fact that I only really use the Joy Cons if it's either attached to the tablet, or if I'm playing it with the kickstand out and it's directly in front of me. When it's on the TV, I've been playing with the Pro controller, so I would recommend for people if you can get if you have that extra few quid just to make sure that no problems. Uh, happen if you're getting a switch early because this problem will surely be sorted in the relatively near future but if you really want to switch now I would recommend if for nothing else then it is a quality controller but definitely to mitigate this problem get a pro controller for yourself yep. if you're mm-hmm. going to have it on the TV Um and that's what I have yeah I would say as well um choose whether you want the charging cradle for the Joy-Cons that will charge it by USB while you're playing uh, or the Pro Controller, you don't really need both unless you're going to be doing a lot of multiplayer. Unless you think you're going to be doing a lot of multiplayer stuff in the future, um, I got both out of curiosity because the the, the charging cradle isn't that much uh, money. The Pro Controller is what I really wanted because I love having a Pro Controller. Um, but uh, just on looking at them and what they offer, I would say pick one or the other if you can't afford both. With the Pro Controller, the does that plug-in via, like, USB? Charges by USB, but you don't need the USB to sync it. Okay. You can just hit home and it will immediately detect... uh, If you hit home, it will start to try and find a switch and the switch will automatically detect any switch controller in the vicinity that tries to tune into it. It's really easy to sync those things. Unlike... Its predecessor, yeah. the Wii U, which was a fucking nightmare yeah. to try and sync uh, controllers to,
1: on top of the four thousand different controllers that it could take yeah. depending on the game. So and, the
0: battery yeah. is the thing that people go on about uh, about how it could four hours or less sometimes, uh, which I have found to roughly be the case if you are if you have the wireless Bluetooth and IR connection set on. Um I based on just the projection of how long I was playing versus how much battery was left. If you put it in flight mode, which disables the Wi-Fi, which disables the Bluetooth and disables the IR for the controllers, meaning you have to play it with the Joy-Con snapped in at the side, you can probably extend that battery life to about six hours, which is... Similar to the 3DS and the Vita, were about six hours. I think the, the 3DS, depending on the game, might have been a little bit more. And El- Zelda is 3D, particularly yeah. intensive on the battery because of the, the fucking size of the game. Yeah, but um, it's put it this way: for me, the longest travel I will I I go on would be on a plane, on a on a short haul flight around Europe, and it will last me that long, and that I'm happy with that. Um, I. Also, there are already backup battery solutions out there if you really want to go down that route. I got one cheap uh, as an offer for having pre ordered the Switch, Uh, but you don't necessarily have to go down that route unless you're really intent on playing this remotely a lot.
1: It does really feel like with the Switch that
0: you're not just purchasing the Switch, you are buying a bunch of
1: other bits and pieces I would say the
0: only the only accessory that's really uh, that I would really thoroughly recommend for people is the pro controller well I think anything anything else is really only if you want very specific things well like the pro controller an SD micro card
1: is going to be necessary as far as I'm concerned
0: Um, you see the thing is like I've already downloaded uh two games onto it and I've still got 98 percent of it free so because when you say ninety eight percent of free cause like after the yeah, look, OS you're, you're at twenty five yeah, gigs. If you're if you're all about uh buying digitally, you will need an S D card, mm-hmm. a micro S D card. That is true. But uh, I'm probably going to buy a lot of Nintendo first party stuff physical. Well um, think about this as well. Yeah. Like there's going to be a lot. I'm not trying to make excuses for this, by the way. No, this no, is no, Just I. Uh, the reason I haven't this on negatives because I haven't, from my perspective, thought of this. Because
1: I know when I end up getting a switch as well, like yeah. that's beginning to, that's going to become my default, like indie game station. Yeah, the
0: Vita is stone
1: dead. We were saying. And okay, <laughs> fair enough. Like not all indie games are over a gig, you know. Mm. But that's going to quickly accumulate, and it. I think that an SD card is going to be necessary.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, but, like, if, if this thing lasts a few years, probably. Um, for now, anyway, I, I wouldn't say get this SD card at launch, maybe, is the better way of putting it. No, I mean, if, you you get, definitely don't, if you're
1: If you getting Zelda physically, then yeah, not.
0: you definitely won't need it. Yeah, unless you're getting Zelda digitally, or you're getting was it Dragon Quest is going to be more than the actual yes. internal memory of the <laughs> Switch. So unless you're getting either of those two, you won't need an SD card, probably for... You might get away with this entire calendar year without one because I'm just going to be. I'm going to download like. uh, Ukulele and. uh, Well, here's the thing. Stardew and stuff like that when it comes out. You'll get those digitally, smaller games, but they're going to have small file sizes. But is is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, is that physical? Oh, yeah. All the Nintendo first party stuff is physical.
1: I, I. Huh, I was thinking that that might have been just a digital only release. No,
0: they even ha- they already have it up advertised in okay. GameStop oh, as enough. well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Um the Okay, so friend codes are a negative because uh hassle of friend codes. I understand why Nintendo do it. It adds that little bar because they're paranoid about the idea of predators contacting kids through previously the metaverse. Honestly,
1: I generally like, the whole friend codes, pe- people pissing about it, whatever. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it,
0: it doesn't really matter. It's a little bit more annoying than just finding someone based on their username. But it, I understand why it's there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That kind of thing. It will put off some people. A lot of these negatives I have for both this and Zelda are things that I can see annoying people, but don't necessarily no. annoy me. Um, Lack of apps. There are literally no apps from the start. That... Isn't a okay. thing that concerns me, especially because I already have a PS4 and I have a laptop and I have a tablet. Uh, Is that, if you're, if like, you're
1: whining, you can't watch Netflix on your fucking Switch. Honestly, you yeah. see,
0: there are some people who loved their Wii because it was the best Netflix app of the day. Yeah. Um, but like the fact there's no streaming video, like there's no Twitch, there's no YouTube, there's no Netflix. Again, it might make some people go, oh, but it doesn't really bother me because I buy it for the games. Um, and then some people might be put off a little bit by the screen, just being a little bit smaller than maybe some people would like. But I think the problem Nintendo have marketing this, and I think they've done a really good job marketing it, especially relative to the Wii U uh, and the 3DS. Uh, the, the thing about the, the Switch is that a lot of these weird Nintendo-y things about it, like the small screen or the existence of the Joy-Cons or the Cradle or anything like that, makes a lot more sense once you get it in your hands mm. once I had it in my hands even though the screen is quite small it still makes sense and it's fine to me it's a but real sexy piece of kit it is it's it's quite a piece of <laughs> kit for a tech nerd yeah now move on to Zelda I realise we're, we're quite overshooting the, the length of this segment so I'll start hacking away some of the news <laughs> yeah I I will try and move. I think we'll fly through most of the news anyway so we'll, we'll just see where we're at look I've uh, got my axe alright I'm going in <laughs> start talking about Zelda go on Firstly, but keep it brief because I don't want anything ruined. To no, make. there's no, there's <laughs> no story spoilers or anything like that. Um, it's an unbelievably gorgeous game. The art style, uh, somewhat evocative of Wind Waker. Um, in that in it in that it's an animation style that's not going for super realistic, isn't going for maybe super cartoony. But it, it does strike me like it's got a bit of the skyward swords about it. It's it's animated in a way that makes me think they're thinking of the way that Wind Waker was animated because that is timeless. Yeah. Wind Waker will never look bad because of the way it's animated and I think the same it, the same approach has been made to Breath of the
1: Wild. Actually, take back my re- initial statement. When I originally saw the the trailer
0: for this, I immediately thought like a Studio Ghibli film. Mm.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I yeah think
0: that, that is yeah, the very very Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Um it's Fucking enormous. Um, I spent a good uh, hour straight just walking around, and I barely got outside of the two sort of provinces or parts of the map that you start in. Um, I actually won't be that long at this, so I don't think we really need to um, speed things up all that much. Uh, The world... One thing people are worried about is that the world would feel sparse. And I will say that the world does feel sparse. But I have this down in the... In, in the positive category because I think it feels um, sparse as in everything feels like the major cities and everything feel far apart but it's a very lived-in world and there's always the potential walking around that you will run into a weird situation you'll run into a traveler who has an interesting story or a side quest or be selling a rare item or you will run into just a random puzzle in a wall on the side of a hill or something like that so even though the world feels huge and expansive um it, it doesn't feel empty sure uh th- that that's the best way i have of putting it um this game has brought back um the thrill of exploring that has been gone from most every video game that tries to do the the, the art of exploring i love open world games and like i'm really enjoying horizon zero dawn which i'll be talking about more next week Uh, my favourite game of this generation so far is probably Witcher 3. And although that is an incredible world to go see, uh, it doesn't have the sheer fucking excitement of what is going to be over the next hill mm. what is going to be up at the top of this tower what is going to be in this shrine like from minute to minute I am so eager to not get anything spoiled me I don't want to know where anything is because just happening upon stuff is the most rewarding thing in the world in this game um, the shrines which have sort of not replaced dungeons because there are some dungeons there are not a lot of them uh, but there are, there are some what have they been replaced with rather than having a large amount of dungeons, is a large amount of these shrines, which are like miniature dungeons, where there is one or two mechanics to the puzzle that's going on in this miniature shrine. A shrine, if you get what's going on in the shrine, should only take you about five to ten minutes to complete. They award There's so many of them dotted around the place, and they award you um, a real sense of accomplishment, and kind of like, it reminds me very much of when you beat a difficult puzzle in Portal. Yeah. Because they they're basic puzzles, like in Portal, but they are sometimes uh, staged in a way that will drive you insane, uh, not knowing how it goes. And then when you finally get it, you feel brilliant, you feel like uh, a conqueror. You get bonuses, uh, you get these little things for beating that help you upgrade your shit later on. Um, what is down here? Uh, It does Ubisoft-style towers for unlocking part of the map, but does it in a way that Ubisoft couldn't have done in their wildest dreams. It adds into the sense of exploration, being able to use your Sheikah Slate to pick out the tower if you see it on the horizon. Walking up to the tower, Lord knows what you'll encounter on your way to the tower. Um, But to get up the tower, rather than go to the tower, touch the tower, I've unlocked the map. Uh, You go to the tower, you have to surmount obstacles around the tower to get to the tower and then you have to physically climb the tower but climb it in a clever way that you don't run out of stamina and fall off the tower Mm -hmm. get up that unlocks a part of the map then you can also scale back how much unlocking the map will tell you so there is a sensor you can get that will tell you if a shrine is nearby i have immediately turned that off because i don't want to know i want to be able to find it but if you're frustrated you can get a thing that like beeps hot and cold if you're getting close to a shrine um, the UI is great there, there is some inventory management to it there's only a certain amount of shit you can carry but you can increase that really easily uh, and you'll see as the game goes on how you can do that uh, but the actual menus are really simple. They're really good at explaining how shit is going on, uh, what you're supposed to be doing. Um, at no point was I confused, even though it it's basically all thrown at you at once without really explaining what to do. And that sounds bad, but it's not. It's it's kind of just like, figure it out yourself. This is your first challenge sort of thing. Um. <laughs> the, yeah. The uh, popular slogan from the... Legend of Zelda franchise—it's—it's it's dangerous to go alone. It has never been more true. <laughs> you die a lot in this game. Someone uh, explained this game basically as being like your first Dark Souls game because it's—it's it's easier than Dark Souls, but it's harder than any Zelda game I think I've ever played. Uh, you will get the shit kicked out of you a lot if you're if you're not prepared. If you haven't prepared your inventory, you don't have like backup weapons because the weapons break. Uh, if you don't have backup weapons if you don't think about your combat smartly because you could just run in and start wildly swiping and then you're going out of stamina and then you're in the middle of three massive fuckers with clubs and they kill you uh you can also if you get too overzealous and i have done this in trying to do a jumping sword strike fallen off the side of a mountain uh and die um so it, it is really tough downsides to the game then we'll move on um, the frame rate in TV mode is the one thing that people have talked about with regards to this game that's a really um, really big drawback and it the frame rate hitches slightly if you are in a heavily wooded area Um, so there's a lot of animation going on with trees and grass at the same time it's usually grass it's always the thing with games yeah Uh, what's weird about it though is that when you take it out of the dock and you're playing remotely because it scales it down for you carrying it around um, that issue is completely alleviated Mm. so that would lead me to believe that with the first or second patch a patch will probably come that will fix that that will probably scale it down slightly to make the that behave itself when you're around there, so that's not really a big deal for me, and it's definitely not game breaking in the way we talked about Last Guardian being game breaking when it does that kind of shit. Just noticeable uh, for some people, the stamina meter is going to be a bit of a an annoying feature. And Jeff Gersman talked about it this week on the Bombcast that that was the bit where he was like, ah, he didn't really care about it. To me, though, I didn't like it in Skyward Sword. To me, though, in this case, and I didn't like it in Skyward Sword either. But to me, um, it's a real It's a way of the game limiting you in a sort of walk before you can run sort of thing. So you can upgrade your stamina as you go on by getting these MacGuffins that you get for beating the Shrines. Uh, But the, the stamina basically stops you from being able to go too far or too high when you aren't really able to do that. So there's an area really early on that if you did have unlimited stamina, you could climb up to the top of the mountain where the weather is so bad and you have just got your cloth on you that you literally, elements affect you and you will freeze to death. Uh, The elements affect you in this game, which is incredible. Uh, If you are equipped with any sort of metal item of clothing on you and there is a thunderstorm, you will be hit by lightning and die. (laughs) That is how well thought out this game is. (laughs) Um, weapon degradation will also annoy some people a little bit, but as you get through the game, you get sturdier and sturdier weapons, sure. um, that do more damage well, and will last a bit longer. But, but there that, will that's just kind of standard RPG. There I, don't I, seem no sure to be, that. unless presumably because they do mention it, uh, as the game goes on, uh, presumably there will be a point where you get the master sword and I would assume that weapons like that, that have a legendary status to them will not break. Yeah. But uh, until then, but you find so many weapons throughout the game that it's going to be, uh, it, it's less a matter of, oh, fuck, I can't find any weapons and more a matter of, oh, which weapons do I want to keep? Because there is an abundance of them.
1: And like, I mean, that
0: again, it's kind of standard RPG stuff, but it gives that sense of pro- progression as well. Yeah. So I'm fine with that. Uh, my final point here uh, uh, on the negatives is that rams are assholes. So dotted around the map will be uh, just as you're going around as well as the different enemy mobs you can encounter and oh my god, I have had a couple of occasions and uh, you have seen, you will have seen it if you watched any sort of gameplay from E3 or whatever, you can be walking along when all of a sudden a boss pops out of the ground, you're just like oh I'll go over and climb that massive boulder, that's not a boulder and it's just this massive boss a huge big dark soul style health bar comes up and you just book it out of the fucking place but um, apart from all those random encounters that come across uh, there are animals in the world so there are frogs there are uh, I think there are rabbits there are uh, horses which you can uh, catch and tame and be able to call to you But particularly up in mountainous areas, there are rams just got around chewing the grass. If you get too close to a ram and you think, oh, this is an adorable little ram, I'm going to go pet him, they will charge you and sometimes charge you so hard that you will fall off the side of a mountain and die. Um, So so what death I'm hearing about here. Yeah, so far, about six hours in uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a fucking masterpiece of a game and 2017 as someone pointed out on twitter earlier this week needs to slow the fuck down with the good games because i only have so much time yeah uh anyway (laughs) i mean considering i'm playing games from 2016 Hmm. yeah so that's enough of my reviewing of the switch on to the news news on the mark In the news, Mark, the Nintendo Switch came out this week. It did. (laughs) I don't know if we mentioned it. Boy, what progress we've made here! Yeah. Um. So with all the the positives of it kind of coming out, and people are actually enjoying the form factor, enjoying the console, and thinking, you know, minor issues aside, Nintendo have kind like have uh, have done a remarkably good job with this hybrid of handheld and home console. One facet of Nintendo that hasn't been going so well is the PR around their return policy or lack thereof. Have you been keeping abreast of this situation? Uh, I don't have a Switch, so... No, no. well, I mean with the news. Um, So, one of the things... I I don't know how much you know about LCD screens, but one of the things that can happen with LCD screens, it's not a thing that happens all the time, but it's a thing that happens sometimes, is the idea of dead pixels in the screen, right? Yeah, this has been happening with a select number. It, it doesn't seem to be half as widespread as the Joy-Con issue, or even close to as widespread as the Joy-Con issue. But it is a thing that's happening where people are reporting that there are some pixels going dead on the Switch. That's a bit of trouble. And generally speaking, if something goes wrong with a console when it's literally just come out of the box a few days ago, your immediate assumption would be go to the manufacturer, your uh, replacement console. Uh, Nintendo have come out and basically fucking said Nope, dead pixels are your problem. Uh, From Nintendo UK's support site, the company tells customers, small numbers of stuck or dead pixels are a characteristic of LCD screens. These are normal and should not be considered a defect. (laughs) Now, thankfully, in the UK and Ireland, we have really uh, rigid consumer laws, which allow us to get back from the retailer a replacement console. Um, I, I don't think we can specifically request it from the manufacturer, but we can get through, say, I bought mine with GameStop. There are also really strict rules in the UK over buying things online that give you, I think, a two-week, uh, no-questions-asked return policy if something happens to your uh, your console or whatever. Um, So we're okay, but this is uh, an issue for further afield where uh, consumer law is a bit sketchier. Um, It's a real real shitty thing um, to have that stance and I would have thought Nintendo would have learned this from previous experience because I don't know if you remember this exact thing happened with the DS Uh when it first Uh came out there were dead pixels and Nintendo responded almost exactly the same saying dead pixels were your problem Um, now what happened with the DS was that the kind of the unhappy consumers started shouting very loudly, the squeaky wheel gets to the grease, and within a couple of weeks, Nintendo had completely reversed that policy and said, right, dead pixels, send us back the console, we'll sort you out. Um, so hopefully it's another case of that, and it's just Nintendo's growing pains with their Switch service. It still would have been better if they had nailed this from the start. Although I imagine, because this is a much less reported issue, I imagine the reason for their kind of hasty and curt response to this, even though it doesn't excuse the response, is that they are... Definitely focused on what the shit are they going to do about the left Joy-Con thing. Yeah. Because it we are still at a point where, depending on the tech person you talk to, some people are fucking convinced it's a firmware issue, and some people are convinced it's a hardware issue. So, which makes me think that maybe Nintendo are having trouble figuring out what it is. Because the if it is a hardware problem, that means it's going to be the enormous expense of a product recall on just the left Joy-Con. Mm-hmm. From our point of view, that is going to be a very easy thing, because that's just, I pick up the Left Joy-Con, I get my receipt, I walk down to where I bought the console, I exchange it for the new Left Joy-Con that actually works. That's simple, but from Nintendo's point of view, they have to fund that product recall, which is quite expensive. Yeah,
1: and I mean, with the, the, the Pixel situation... um, everything always feels a lot more amplified when it's online. So in terms of the numbers... Echo Chamber. Yeah, Echo Chamber, yeah. So in terms of the
0: numbers for the people that this is happening to, obviously for them... It's happening to a statistically significant amount, at least because they've had to specifically mention it on the support site. That said... Even amongst the echo chamber of the internet, it is not nearly as widely reported as the left Joy-Con yeah, is. That, so I understand why it's down the pecking order yeah, of, of things to sort
1: and out. And now obviously for those people, it still is a bad situation and mm. they should be well within their rights that, hey, there is a defect with this product. Yeah. And Nintendo's uh, lying, as you said, like the fact that they've had this situation before and they've clearly reversed on their policy within a couple of weeks... Yeah. Uh, maybe they will change that but again as you said like the the joy con is the issue here and it does seem like they're still not entirely sure what the yeah, issue
0: is um the one thing i will advise consumers on here because i do like to to look out for the listeners and and hope that they do take on a bit of advice when we see fit to impart it but as a, a business teacher who advocates this to his students um When you buy hardware or anything like that, please be advised of whatever your rights are in the situation. Figure out what your rights are as a consumer when you're buying it. Uh, Always hold on to your receipt um, and just be uh, familiar with the, not only the return policy of the company that you buy the hardware from or the software, no matter what it is, um, and also be aware of what consumer law says in your country because sometimes a retailer will say there are no refunds or whatever but that's just um, what we would call an illegal sign Um, it doesn't reflect what the actual statutes are on something like in Ireland we have uh, cast iron as a sale of goods and supply of services act 1980 which pretty much is cast iron rights for the consumer that no matter what a sign says in a shop about no refunds, you can tell them to get to fuck if, the pro- if there is a significant problem that is not of merchantable quality.
1: Yeah, I not I can't remember what the, the UK law is, but I know there's like a 14-day refund policy. And yeah, there's that, like that, a yeah, that's your standard, day. no questions
0: asked. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. in terms of... Then there will be subsequent stuff if your uh, product is still within warranty and something sure. goes wrong with it. Yeah. Um, that isn't your delivery. I don't know... Doing. I think it's like company per company for like a one year warranty mm. for things like that. Um, it, it sometimes is also worth it, especially if you're an early adopter with a console. Um, unless you fancy the taking on the the, the additional risk, uh, I would always advocate if the place you're buying it from offers an extended warranty at a reasonable price, I would consider it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we reported it with the with the the PS4 that there was uh, the ejector bug and things like that these launch window consoles often have growing pains issues so you've had your fair share of issues with them um only with the well my PS4 lasted three years but um like pretty much everyone pretty much everyone in our immediate group of friends except Brian has gone through at least one PS4 in the first year or two. My my launch spends on his third, I think. My launch 360 lasted me a year. Yeah, um, I I got through. I think I went through three PS3s. Like <laughs> my my third one is still fine. Okay. But the the first one, those ones were you know, yeah yeah um, and then I I wore out the disc drive in the second <laughs> one. Um, anyway, the final bit of Nintendo <laughs> Switch Roof. Yeah, I'm still doing that. I know, man. yeah. I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> to be honest um, the final bit of Switch news for this week uh, Switch is Nintendo's fastest selling console ever in Europe uh, which is paired with a, a nice story about how it's uh, it, it's doubled the sales of the Wii U so Nintendo Switch sold more in its launch weekend in Europe than any other Nintendo hardware launch in history not only that but Zelda Breath of the Wild is Europe's biggest selling Nintendo launch title ever hired in Wii Sports which was packed in with the Wii uh, these impressive facts have just been announced by Nintendo, although it's worth remembering how hardware launch figures are constrained by the amount of stock available to retailers. So while the Switch sold more consoles over its launch weekend than the Wii, it's important to note how Wii's stock was also severely limited. Mm-hmm. Regardless, these are promising sound bites for Switch, which shifted 80,000 units over its opening weekend in the UK alone.
1: Yeah, so I'm... I'm... I think from the figures I saw, it's still
0: less than quite a few of the other consoles. Yeah, it's less than, um, it, it's more than the Wii U, but it's it's less than the Wii 3DS or Xbox One. And I know most of them also had a
1: similar, like, three to four day period of when it was released from Monday's sales mm-hmm. figures. So, like, in terms of just, if I'm keeping it kind of isolated to, like, Nintendo products, yeah. or it, just
0: keeping it isolated to the Wii U, it's uh, very, very promising, as yeah. you said. The important thing, I think, for Nintendo here is that it's left the Wii U in the dirt already with yes. sales figures. It's doubled the Wii U,
1: and I think as well that it's promising. That clearly the marketing behind the Switch has
0: been effective. It was clear. It was. Cons- I, I think we we praised the marketing um, in the the build up to release. Uh, Mark, I want you to talk to me about rhyme. Well, the the brief thing that I saw about
1: this earlier is simply that uh, rhyme is uh, by tequila works which was once a playstation exclusive and it's like a puzzle adventure game um so it's coming to pc ps4 and xbox one in both physical and digital form in the uk it's going to be priced at 29.99 uh it's now coming to the nintendo switch physical and digital but it's also going to be released at 39.99 now i don't know whether that is because um, because they've decided they're now going to port it to the Switch, that there are extra uh, expenses involved with doing that, yeah, the... or it's just because of the, the it's a cartridge and not disc based. Yeah.
0: Now their nebulous response to this was uh, from an FAQ on the Nintendo Switch version says we set prices for our products based on the cost of development and publishing for each specific platform. Uh, now my reading of that was I would suggest that the additional cost is to offset that I would imagine they decided to make a skew for the Switch late on in development yeah. so they had to plough plow additional costs into making a port for the Switch it's not that making a version for the Switch is outlandishly expensive but it's just that to do it late on and get it up to speed by the time the actual game comes out was probably what was expensive there. Yeah. To me. So that that that's my impression.
1: Because uh I've already seen some people saying, Well, is this is this a precedent for, for Switch games going forward? I don't think so. I no. think this is an outlier. Yeah.
0: Um where just there, because of the, the development cycle where the game has come along. Just some of the games that are coming out on uh the Switch, the, the smaller indie titles would lead me to believe that it couldn't be that prohibitively expensive, otherwise these no. smaller games would be staying the fuck away from the Switch because they wouldn't make their money back exactly
1: and like it's because if it was also just um, the the case that the the, the cartridge is the reason for the extra expense like it doesn't fully explain the digital version but I guess they have to try and keep the prices similar Mm. Um, but it's also a promising sign that kind of third-party support obviously it's not like a triple a tier company are coming in but there are games there are companies that like look we need to get this on the switch you know this is a viable market so it's promising some in some regards i think it's just really unfortunate timing um
0: which is why it's ended up with this price with the the game being the price that it is so yeah PS4 has uh, a new firmware upgrade today, if you're listening to this on the launch day of the podcast Thursday. It's uh, 4.50, and the headliners here are Boost Mode and External HDD Support. Uh, This comes from VG247. Sony will release PS4 Firmware Update uh, March 9th, and it comes with a host of features, including Boost Mode for PS4 Pro. Um, The PS4 Pro uh, feature Boost Mode will provide better performance for legacy titles which have not been patched to take advantage of the faster CPU and its faster double-sized GPU. Um, The external HDD support has arrived. It will uh, support. It it runs by USB 3.0 hard disk drives. It will. It will support hard drives that are between a minimum of 250 gigabytes and 8 terabytes. Uh, so your store, your storage worry days are probably over for the PS4 if you have an external hard drive of any significant quality uh, or size, should I say? There are improvements to the stability of PlayStation VR as part of this firmware upgrade. So, uh, kind of things, the resolution on these games will look better. They'll they'll perform more stably. The uh, the frame rate will be more consistent in cinematic mode, uh, going from ninety Hz to one hundred and twenty. Uh, PSVR will now support Blu-ray 3D discs as well Um, There will be voice chat for Remote play now Um, There is Off console availability, an icon shaped like a Smartphone has been added which indicates when a player Logged into PSN but away from their console So if I'm logged into the app on my phone and chatting To somebody, they will know that I'm talking From my phone and that I'm not on my PS4 At home I don't know why that would be a thing Uh, that you would need but it's a nice little bell or whistle sure Um, you can now we've got
1: folders in so now we just need to start making shit up
0: you can now create custom wallpapers based on screenshots you've taken from games and you can change your profile colour to uh, more diverse colours users now have more choice in what they wish to share in their activity feed they can create custom stories with text screenshots player and game tags find the post tool on what's new your profile or the content info screen Uh, You can also change privacy settings on your activity feed now um, on your individual posts. So who sees what, what you're posting in there. Uh, There will be a a shortcut on the options uh, screen to your save data rather than have to go into like application save data management, all that. Dave. Yes. Can I still play Rocket League? That's yeah. all the matters. Uh, from the capture gallery to the share factory. Uh, so select a chosen screenshot in the capture gallery. And by pressing options button, there will be a choice to go straight into the share factory if that's uh, a thing you use. Uh, PS4 will now support the creation of GIFs in share factory. Uh, that's and, pretty cool, actually. Yeah, and there are updates to how messages and community app updates work on your PS4. So it, nothing major coming in there apart from the external HDD support. But again... Uh, consistent in that these firmware upgrades are constantly looking for ways to refine and improve the service we're getting I, down, I was going to say am not even sure refine because there's a lot of extra bells and whistles being added yeah. on there unlike um, the Xbox One which has had I can't even tell you how many overhauls to how that OS is run and it's still a <laughs> fucking mess um no man's sky remember no man's sky i was gonna
1: actually ask you about this so when was the last was the last time you played no man's sky when they had the last patch
0: i played it i i got real into it again for about two weeks after that patch because there was some cool stuff in that foundations update um and then some again like with the last time at no man's sky i when i remember it i'll play it for a while and then if something really cool comes out i will get completely distracted It's kind of like um, a less interesting Minecraft. Yeah, I I feel like that's kind of the path that this game is going to go on now. I I don't not like my experiences when I'm on there, um, but it's certainly... If all this shit had come out from the start, I would have burned away my entire... Hey,
1: sure. Like, that's what everyone wanted. I'll give you a list of things that the the new uh, update is adding. Please do. PS4 Pro support with 4K optimization.
0: <clears throat> I'm definitely going to be having a look at that. Sure.
1: Just... Improved lighting and visuals, owning multiple ships, base sharing online, Steam Workshop integration, new vehicles, permadeath mode, build and share vehicle racetracks... That sounds interesting. Ship specializations and classes. New currency and shops with traders for tech and constructs. Double the amount of variety in base buildings. Multi-tool specialization and classes. New weapons and weapon modes. Photo mode. Improved discovery menu. Most requested quality of life improvements. Fifty percent more original music for sixty five days of static. <laughs> hey, that music is really cool. Lads, get back in the studio. We yeah. need some more. That stuff music here. is really cool like in the, fairness. That four minute loop you got is really what good. But one we of need my more of one of
0: my favorite things about that game is that ambient music. Yeah. Um anyway, yeah. So like it's cool that they in spite of everything, they are still trying to improve that game instead of just thing. cutting their losses.
1: Anyone and we've said this from the get go, anyone that just went Sean Murray has like taking our money and he's fucked off yeah. we knew that was never the case yeah. we knew that they had to get the game out obviously yeah. there were glaring issues with it yeah. they had to I, rush I think release. the release
0: I think the decision they probably if they were being candid regret the most is jumping in bed with Sony because I have a feeling that the pressure to release when they did came from Sony and not them I would 100% yeah. agree um, um and maybe one day fucking Danny O'Doile will
1: get in there and find yeah, out exactly Sony put happened. them
0: out there to die and then when and they a torrent of shit came at them Sony didn't stand beside them Yeah, which is I think the biggest thing Sony have gotten wrong for me this generation probably Yeah,
1: that, that's like borderline that, like a that Konami is a, corner that is bullshit
0: a, that is a big warning light to any developers that they try to partner with now yeah. is that what if we're the next No Man's Sky anyway Speaking of Konami Corner, so we have Konami Corner, but will you join me down Activision Alley for a yeah. moment, Mark? <laughs> so, I don't know if you've been following this, uh, our good friend Ben Kavna told me about this today when we were playing some GTA, uh, and this is very interesting to me. So, Call of Duty, um, what the fuck was it called, um, was it Infinite Warfare this year, or what was it called? Yeah, it was in. It was, it was yeah, yeah, and Advanced s- Warfare was the Kevin Spacey one. Infinite Warfare was the one. Space this year. War, Call of Duty. Yeah, so Call of Duty Infinite Warfare came out this year. No one really gives a shit about it. Um, people say it's a decent campaign, but in terms of the multiplayer, which everyone is whatever most people are there for. You know the, you know you know the emoji shrug you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's eh. yeah. The one I have on um, that T shirt I got Brian. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's the, that was the response to Infinite Warfare. People bought the, a lot of people who bought that game bought the very expensive version so they could get the pretty remastered version you of Call of Duty Four. Fickle fucking creatures. That is that's why a lot of people bought it, and uh, a lot of people suspect, particularly in hindsight, that the reason that was strapped on to the side of Infinite Warfare was because they were afraid people weren't going to buy Infinite <laughs> Warfare, and they were right. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> here's the thing about this. This game is what? Uh, it is nine years old. 2007? 2007... 2008. 2008. I have it here. Okay. It. So 2008. So it is nearly 10 years old. Yeah. Um, they have announced that they are going to bring out not just DLC that bring the map packs from the original Call of Duty 4. Uh, keep in mind this pack. game has microtransactions as well. Yes. They are bringing them in as premium DLC, meaning that you are going to have to pay to get nine-year-old map packs that are gussied up. Now, whatever <laughs> about paying for the remaster, cool. <laughs> and uh Ben and others ha- uh, have intimated to me that I've been, because I chatted to a couple of other Call of Duty fans today, not to verify, because I know Ben's on the level, but just to get their perspective on it. And... A lot of the implication, even though I couldn't find where they outright said it from Activision, was going to be, we're not charging you for DLC for Modern Warfare. Infinite Warfare, yeah, whatever. But Modern Warfare remaster, the implication was, don't worry, once you pay for the extra for the remaster, you're not going to have to pay any more for it. Not only is it coming out... But it's going to cost more than it did the first time. So it cost ten dollars for the all the map packs in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you fifteen dollars now to get the same map packs. That's inflation, my
1: friend. That's indeed, how it that works. Indeed. Just put into perspective as well. Like obviously, it doesn't have all the the map packs and whatever else. But you think about like the Bioshock collection. Mm-hmm. You have got three games in there. You have
0: all the DLC. That's yeah. all in there for like what well, forty quid? Well, I well think that's it was? the thing. Is that it? It's, it's essentially the remaster without putting the name on it and now you can see why they didn't put the name on it is like a game of the year edition and the implication with a remaster the game of the year edition is that everything, everything comes with it, it. Yeah. everything comes with it so that was one of the the cool things about getting like you said the bioshock remasters that has everything in it yeah um one of the cool things about i'm trying to think other games that have um skyrim the the remaster skyrim has all the shit in it mm-hmm. um that that's one of the cool things about getting those uh, game of the year editions. Shadow of Mordor's game of the year edition. Yeah.
1: What was the the Arkham uh, collection? Was that just Arkham? Uh, it was Arkham Asylum and, and City, City and all the and the DLC. Yeah. So that's
0: that's kind of the that is what the developers do to go. Look, I know we're making you buy the same game again, so we knock money off it and we throw in the DLC. Please buy it now. Sure. And I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. But this, this if if that's what floats your boat, if you want to do that, boom. This is, uh, it's Activision, you know. This is worrying because a lot of people have talked about, um, because I haven't, I don't keep up with Call of Duty news, but apparently there is, it's not even, I would say, a vocal minority anymore. There's a sizable portion of the Call of Duty fan base that are getting increasingly angry and increasingly, as Eurogame refers to here, bitter about how we've still, we've, we're nearly at six months since that game came out and um, it's still, you can't get it separately. Yeah. They're making you buy it with the game that no one likes. Well, look, here's the thing, all right? And... and we knew they were going to do it for a while. It's yeah. just, I, I think a lot of people would have thought, by the end of the January sales, they would probably at least announce plans. Just, here's the thing. You just, you vote with your fucking wallet, right? Yeah. Well, then we said this at the time. And if did. you don't think they should do that, if you want them to split them separately, don't buy the fucking and game.
1: I, I can't remember what the sales for In- Infinite Warfare was. It
0: was, the bell curve has started to dip down. We'll I, I think they I started f- to, I this think is the first year ghosts. where there's been a notice- noticeable hit. I think it was better than Ghost, yep. but, but not like... Not very much. It is, it, it, ha- it didn't meet expectations, from what I can hear. And I think the fact that the much better Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2 coming out within two sure. weeks will also put a dent in it. Um, I will be curious to see how this DOC sells. I'm going to be curious Sails. to see how fucking Call of Duty does this year now. To see how much of the uh, the fan base have gone. Because like, Ben, who again I mentioned is a good friend of ours, he's the guy who... Like, like I do with FIFA, buys Call of Duty every year. Yeah. And if, there's been a couple of ones where he's threatened that, oh, this is the year where they've lost me, they've lost me, and he still buys it.
1: If there was a series that was in
0: dire need of a biannual release, mm-hmm. uh, Call of Duty is probably... Because yeah, we're one. probably going to see the benefit, I like I don't want to uh, counter chickens, but we're probably going to see the benefit of taking a year off when Assassin's Creed gets unveiled at E3. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be an amazing game, but I would guarantee... Uh, well not guaranteed but I would I would I would put a little bit of money that it's going to be the best one in a few years because they took some time. I tell you what, it probably won't be broken as fuck at lunch. No, no, there won't be nightmare floating eyeball <laughs> monsters, that's for sure. <laughs> or ships just rising into the sky. Oh, I kind of hope there will be. Um, Middle Earth Shadow of War, which is probably my uh, biggest looking forward to Q3, Q4 game of the year. What, I'm just going to go make a drink. You, you talk for a couple of minutes. This is really uh, the kind of... When they announced this and said August 22nd or whatever the date is, I was just like, I really hope they hit that date. But this game is a lot further along than I think a lot of people thought because they broke out the gameplay this week. Um, So they invited a load of people to a movie theatre, I think in San Francisco. Um, because a lot of the kind of GameSpot, IGN and Giant Bomb people were at it uh, and showed it in all its 4K glory and, and, and kind of have released the video since of the gameplay. Um, game looks gorgeous, but that, that's not why we're talking about it here. The the reason I want to talk about Shadow of War is because they appear to have taken the Nemesis system and gone, oh, you like that? You think that's all we can do with the Nemesis system? Ha ha ha. And they have gone crazy with it. Have you seen these videos yet? No. So you're familiar with the nemesis system from this game which is the idea that you can um, that orcs will move up the rankings to basically become like generals or leaders and they all have a story that like they carry with them the, the past that if you've fought them in a battle before and they've run away they will still have the scars from the battle and they will remember that and they will be particularly aggressive i mean i'm so you. familiar with it i keep calling it the Dennis system but <laughs> other than that but that's that's in a nutshell what the nemesis system yeah. is um the, this video and it's a 16 minute video i urge anybody to to look it up if you're a fan of the series i'm not going to do it justice here um they have not only taken this to um new extremes with the the amount of uh, orcs you can fit into the nemesis system but what they've done as well is they have uh, put fortresses into the nemesis system so your your orcs that move up the rankings can form their own strongholds which take on different aesthetic values based on that orcs sort of procedurally generated story in the game so they, when you come to fight them in their own, like, uh, when you wade through their armies, another feature of your uh, new, we'll say, Nemesis V2, is that you get to raise an army of orcs you've defeated to fight with you when you go to these fortresses. Uh, and it, it's fucking, like, it is insane looking I, at it. I'll
1: tell you what, if this system was used in any other game other than a Lord of the
0: Ring Lord of the Rings game, I would be interested. Yeah. Do you know what? The the only other game I've seen that it doesn't quite use the Nemesis system, but it is very reminiscent of, this, of the Nemesis system without quite going all the way there is that Mad Max game that came out a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah. which is actually, that is, was, if we had the, uh, the, the okayest game of the year award back then, it probably would have won it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're a fan of this series, it looks like they have taken because they didn't need to touch the combat because it's basically Arkham combat. There is nothing wrong with that. That will always work. Um, they have taken the Nemesis system, which is what everybody thought was the unique feature of that game, and they have expanded it out the wazoo. Well, sure,
1: and I think like that was the game's USP,
0: uh, other yeah. than being a good
1: Lord of the Rings game, and yeah. um, you know now they they don't have to worry about because they obviously they remove that essentially from the PS3 version mm-hmm. so now they don't have to worry about that it's just yeah. okay
0: and, and they're, they're also tailoring in for the fan service if you're here not just for the, the, the cool gameplay if you're there because you're a Lord of the Rings fan I know this is where it loses you mm-hmm. but they've actually some of these fortresses are famous locations from Middle Earth that you will recognise from the films or the book Osgiliath uh, Minas Morgul Minas Tirith uh, places like that all seem to be part of this game um it's really cool it's uh it it was a game that didn't just appeal to lord of the rings fans but definitely there was a lot of stuff in there for them and i am super duper excited for this game uh cal drogo (laughs) um jason momoa from game of thrones genuinely no there was a just movie on the way yeah this guy he's going to be aquaman in the justice league movie Mm -hmm. and in his own standalone movie i believe. Um, is going to be in the Just Cause movie, according to Variety. Now, the only reason I bring this in here, because it's not really much of a news story, except to go, hey, Jason Momoa, Just Cause movie. That's the headline here. That's pretty much all there is. Mark, have you played many of the Just Cause games? Yes. Okay. Quick quiz for you here. Million dollar question. What is the least important part of any Just Cause game? Uh, The story. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck is this game going or this movie going to be the only thing that's fun about those games and it is great fun is blowing shit up hey
1: look i think that you could take a director um and you could say hey make a film where you blow shit up for two hours. And yeah. that's actually not the most difficult kind of film to make. Yeah. So this one actually might get... If they can get like the, the tone I suppose
0: of suppose Cause... Because they can't fuck up the story, because there is none. Exactly, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, I was just thinking there, I played Just Cause 3 for weeks. Gone to my head, I couldn't tell you what the story's about. I think it's
1: something to do with a government and overthrowing sure, it. Sure, sure. Maybe. There's pretty
0: islands, there's um, an evil dude. You blow up his statue a lot by putting mines on his crotch. I know, I remember there's a grappling hook and yeah. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, the other massive open world game that came out this month, um, has become Sony's biggest PS4 franchise debut, which yeah, sounds like a, a caveat spree there. Which is inc- insane when you think about, like, we're we're out,
1: well, we're just past Christmas now, we've mm-hmm. got a new console that's now out the,
0: round about the same time. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Uh, This is from Eurogamer. Uh, Sony Nintendo battled out Horizon Zero Dawn versus Breath of the Wild, but there's only going to be one winner when it came to sale. Despite the Switch's solid launch, Horizon Zero Dawn was always odds-on favourite to win the chart rundown. Well, sure, it has the install base at the moment. Yeah, exactly. But the amount Horizon sold, it did very well indeed. Horizon is Sony's biggest new franchise launch on PS4, a title previously held by No Man's Sky. It's also the biggest PS4 launch in general since Uncharted 4 below horizon in the charts, elder Breath of the Wild was second 78% of copies sold were on Switch with 22% on Wii U which is an interesting skew there I would have thought that a lot of people would have got it on Wii U rather than move but it seems that perhaps a lot of people last minute decided to move to the Switch so there was that tumult of kind of people saying no I'm just going to stay with my Wii U until sure. until New Donk City yeah <laughs> um but it seems that is a lot that what we're calling Mario Odyssey? Just need uh, on I want to. I want a real bad <laughs> Super Bomberman R. Also made it into the charts, which is mad as well. Yeah. So well, I suppose if you're picking up two games at launch, it's probably those. Yeah, like I, gonna, you're gonna get Skylanders and Just Dance. I I not give a fuck about Switch one two. All right, if I'm gonna yeah. get another, once you switch was um, fourth
1: um, in the charts. But oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I I like Super Bomberman. I've yeah. I've always been a fan of Super Man. I said
0: I I will pick up Super Bomberman R at some point when it's cheaper. <laughs> this is the thing. The price. Apparently, of it it's is... good. It's just not fifty dollars good. No, of course. Uh, it's once you not. switch, I I said to uh, someone today, uh, there is no way I would ever own this were it not for the fact that one I was fucking curious and two we have a lot of party games. We have games nights here and I think 1-2-Switch might be a cool thing to do on a couple of game nights. Look, look, look. If look. we didn't have... Uh, there's,
1: there's secret option or secret answer free as well.
0: You bought Knack
1: at launch, uh-huh. All
0: right? Yeah. Well, no, uh, the, the GameStop my PS4 was ordered at was out of the Killzone bundle. So I just got the Knack bundle because it was the same price as just getting the console and then bought Killzone separately. Honestly, I would rather just have wasted the money and not been given that game. Well, for the amount of time I played Knack, I may as well have not been given it. (laughs) I can't give that game away. I still have it.
1: (laughs) It's like people that have VHS tapes that can't take them into a charity shop and Mm -hmm. give them away
0: final story uh, this is the this comes under the uh, the Brian McNamara uh, stories of the week and that is year two content for The Division has been revealed um, which is a nice bonus uh, to know that uh, that's a game that I really wish had enough in it to grab me when it came out but it didn't um, there was not destiny levels of emptiness but there was emptiness in it where it was just a little bit too grindy for me to be interested in sticking with it it's a really, it, it, the game feels really cool to play. The I, I really like how it looks and how it feels, um, but there just wasn't enough in it for me to keep me going. Um, so in an interview with Game Rant ahead of the live stream Ubisoft Massive discussed what the Division players can expect in year two of the game there will be two free expansions focusing on PvE released this year for all players of the Division with the first drop hitting in the summer and the second arriving later in the year according to Garrity the first DLC will continue the philosophy put into place with the 1.4 update uh, a philosophy of generosity and rewarding players for spending time in the game and playing and driving them to player driven activities where they can craft their own unique stories while much uh, while not much was given away, the first will contain new events, PvE content in both new ways, solo and with other players. One new way to play will come in the form of an event structure which rewards players for participation, completion and and competition. Uh, PVB activities are still in consideration. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, a feature which allows the player to switch between loadouts for encounters is also in the pipeline. Um, so it, it's good to see... Uh, one of the, the I think the real positives uh, the reason I wanted to put this in one of the real positives of this generation of consoles that I really like is that developers uh, by and large uh, at least the ones that know what side their bread is buttered on have started to really look at this philosophy of games as a service that mm. there's a lot of aftercare if you want to keep people playing the game um, I think the likes of Overwatch have fucking nailed this and um, look after your players after they they play the game and then when you eventually ask them to spend a little bit more money on it, they won't mind doing it. You don't go the way Destiny has gone, which is after mistreating players for three years, now Destiny 2 is coming out. I don't know if you read this story, that all your stats completely have to start from scratch for Destiny 2 and people are pissed because those, uh, those poor Destiny fans have gone through so much. I feel so bad for them. I have no sympathy. I feel so bad because you would no think there would be some sort of light nope. at the end of the tunnel and they've just been backhanded nope. again. fuck them. <laughs> just fuck them. <laughs> Captain Positive Mark Mark Robinson there. <laughs> Let's move on to the book club. That's the feature every week where we talk about an important game from gaming's past that we think you should either talk about or play or replay. And this week, Mark, it's the turn of Spelunky.
1: open source indie platform video game, created by Derek Yu and released as freeware for Microsoft Windows. It was remade for the Xbox 360 in 2012 with ports to the PS3, PlayStation Vita and then back to Microsoft Windows. The player controls a Spelunker who explores a series of caves while collecting treasure, saving damsels, fighting enemies and dodging traps. The caves are procedurally generated making each run through the game unique. Splunky is one of the first examples of a roguelike like borrowing concepts from the roguelike genre and was the influence for many later roguelike dash like games that is an actual thing the first public release was on december 21st 2008 the source code of the 2008 windows version was released on december 25th 2009 merry christmas an enhanced version for xbox live arcade was released on july 4th 2012. The Enhanced Edition was also released on PC on August 8, 2013 and the PS3 Edition on the August 27th and 28th 2013 and for PS4 on October October 7th 2014. A Chrome OS version of the game was made as well, titled Spelunky HTML5. Now, I remember um, playing the Windows browser version um, when I was at university and it uh, the original version has the kind of uh, retro pixel art style of it. But mm. the, the version of the game that I am most familiar with is the win- is the Xbox Live Arcade version. Uh-huh. And this was during my time where I was really getting into some of the releases that were on Xbox Live Arcade. Like Super Meat Boy, uh, M Plus, yeah. and, and Spelunky. What an
0: incredibly important incubator that turned out to be in hindsight. I know, XBLA right. For yeah. uh, like... The legacy that has had on gaming as it has gone on since then cannot really be understated.
1: Yeah, and like Spelunky is is a massively influential game from the last generation up until now. Because as it says in the, uh, as I said in the prologue here, the um, the amount of games that have borrowed or used the kind of formula of what Spelunky does... Um, and applied it to their own games. Like, you can mm-hmm. see any number of roguelikes on Steam um, that use some form... Whether it's Splunky or Binding of Isaac, they're the kind of two big ones mm-hmm. for taking some kind of concept of, like, procedural generation and applying it to their game. Um, for you... Uh, before I I kind of really go into it, like how much like time have you spent with Spelunky and your kind here, of awareness of it? Here
0: is the the the, the spin I decided to put on um, this week's book club um, is that I have always been I, I am aware of Spelunky, I have seen Spelunky being played. I, I I have I have not gone so far as because it's one of those games that I could see if I started playing I may not stop you know like I worried about Stardew Valley for a long time sure that I was going and I was right by the way about Stardew Valley But <laughs> I was going to disappear into that game for a long time correction I was right uh, yeah um so I have not actually myself played Spelunky so what I was looking for this segment to be was for me to kind of uh, listen to your experiences and maybe ask you some questions and for you to finally do the sales pitch on me Okay. To get me to play it now, right. the 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 starting point I want to have, and I joked about it into the intro to the show, for the the not idiots, but for the the uninformed as to the the, the lexicon of uh, gaming terminology, what the fuck is a roguelike? <laughs> Explain to the listeners at home. So, a roguelike is um, it's a kind
1: of variation of a dungeon crawler kind of game um, and it's based around for the most part uh, procedurally generated levels so every time that you play the game uh, the experience you have is different the- I,
0: so say and again I'm not say, I'm not saying this to, to ask you the question we're just trying to explain this yeah, sure. I'm playing the role of the listener here yep, 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 I yep. know what a roguelike is of course, of course, you're going to think to yourself I'm, why am I asking yeah, questions yeah, yeah, here yeah, yeah. Mark knows that I know this as well <laughs> so I just want to make sure that he's not weirded out as am I starting to lose my mind yeah so, in most games, to so say Super Mario, the mm-hmm. original Super Mario, you got World 1, 1, 2. Bomb so, on Battlefield is always Bomb on Battlefield. Yeah. You yeah. can, um, you know exactly where things are laid out. Uh, it becomes conducive to speedrunning because everything is predictable, patterns are predictable, where things are on maps mm-hmm. are predictable. Yeah. In a rogue, like those rooms or levels, per se, are like you said procedurally generated so it's randomized yes yeah, so um, no two runs are identical
1: yes yeah, so in the the first world uh, or the first four levels is is the caves and so the the general kind of theme of that environment is the same so like the um the assets are all the same the same kind of enemies hmm. but the layout of them changes And the way that I remember this working is that the game is... Or the level is split into like 16 tiles. I think 4 by Mm 4 And the algorithm works in a way where it sets the the floor uh, and the ceiling and the walls and the enemies. And it makes sure that it does it in a way that you... Some way you can get from the
0: start in the top left or right hand side, and you can get to the bottom where the exit is to so the end of that level. For those of you who played the aforementioned Stardew Valley, think of the mines in Stardew Valley, and this is kind of what you're dealing with here to a various degree. Yeah, it's, 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 a rudiment- plane, it's a rudimentary so. version of what you're talking about, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and so you, after a couple of runs, you get the basic idea of okay, I need to get from um, the top to the bottom. Um, along the way you can collect treasure as well and you can use that treasure to uh, purchase items from uh, a marketplace that can be found sometimes in um, certain levels within the game and one of the key things about roguelikes as well is the concept of permadeath Mm -hmm. so if you die that's the end of that run you have to start again from the beginning mm-hmm. and that's where the, the kind of degree of challenge comes into this. You don't just restart the room. You're done. No, you're done. Um, and it has, uh, that degree of, you know, the choices that you make can affect you further on down the line. So for example, the marketplace is owned by an old man, a shopkeeper, and you can purchase the items as fine. Um, sometimes one of the items that might be in that shop is a shotgun now you can actually pick the item up and you can walk out of the shop without purchasing purchasing it the shopkeeper doesn't like that and he'll start shooting at you you can also pick up the shotgun before you purchase it and then shoot the shopkeeper and kill him which is always fun that shopkeeper would then appear at the end of every level for the rest of the game. And, so, and he'll freak the fuck out like as soon as he spots you. So you're not pleased about it. being shot. Funnily enough, yeah. um, so you have to deal with that for the rest of the game. But the advantage, obviously, is now you have a shotgun. And that makes traversing through the environment a lot easier. What I really like about Spelunky... Is um, a lot of it is the behind the scenes work with it, you know, the way that the game is designed. And we're going to find out more about this in um, when Danny O'Doway's No Clip uh, specific episode about Spelunky is comes it, out.
0: Is it next week? I
1: think it's, it's, I think it's fra- next week, this or week or the week after. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Check it out, subscribe, No Clip on YouTube. They're nearly at 100k. And one of the things that were. Uh, Derek Hugh talks about in the the first video when um, Daniel DeWise is doing this kind of montage of these three games is the element of kind of mystery and uh, surprises that you find in this game, you know, Um, because you can use a wiki at this point because the game is now a few years old, obviously. But when I was first playing this game, I was just faffing around and tinkering with elements of the game and like discovering new areas, not quite sure of how i found them mm. um and then when i finished the game so the the last level there's like two kind of endings the the, the easy ending quote unquote um, you just follow through uh, the the four different worlds i think it's four um and then you have like the the end of the the game boss you beat him and then that's it and it kind of tells you you've got this much treasure well done but there's the secret ending where you go to hell. But the the way that you get there, you have to follow like a certain. Uh, you have to follow a couple of rules, uh, and and uh, if you don't follow them, then you, you that's it. You can't go. Um, but the way that you find them out is is quite difficult. Um, the elements involved. And it's kind of like sheer accident and just sheer just exploring the world around you and just faffing around with different elements to see kind of what does what. Um, But also exploring pays off in that there's um, extra levels like there's a mothership. where So you're in um, the third world is like a kind of bottomless ice cavern. And at the end of the fourth world, you can just find an alien craft that's just kind of randomly there. Which then, the difficulty kind of ramps the fuck up to like an end of game kind of boss. But if you defeat the mother brain in there, you get um, this gun which is like OP to all hell. And sometimes Mm. you can find a jetpack as well. And a Mm. jetpack is like the kind of item you want. Because the game has fall damage. The game has like endless chasms. So to have a jetpack is super, super useful um because getting around the environment is a lot easier uh the game also forces you to be quick be quick but be safe because after i can't remember it's 3 minutes uh, a ghost appears that takes up most of the screen and if the ghost touches you insta kill boom you're dead um so you have to you know you want to explore each level as best as you can but you need to be quick about it Um, you know, you need to be smart about your decisions. And a lot of that is just playing the game a lot of times because you start to see patterns with the way that the levels kind of design themselves. Um, And sometimes a level will take on a theme, like Mm -hmm. in the caves, sometimes a level will be, you'll get like a small icon at the start that appears that says, oh, spiders, which means that level is going to have like these big fuck off spiders and you know kind of what to expect um sometimes you'll have a room where it's in like close to pitch black um and so you know that okay well i have to deal with this i have to be very very slow this room i need to sacrifice kind of collecting treasure and i just need to get to the end of the room Mm. as quickly as i can and so it makes you have to find different ways of playing the game you know it makes you uh it challenges you in, in a number of
0: different ways. It, it makes you think on your feet. Absolutely, um, yes. Talk to me about the um, the, the the design for me. You talked about the design from a uh, the, the, the procedurally generated levels and in terms of what the gameplay is, but talk to me about the design from the standpoint of sound and sight, um, the, the art design of the game and the, the the sound design.
1: So the art design in the kind of version that we know it as now, um, it it... Feels a lot like a Flash game, actually, but like a really kind of
0: well-crafted Flash game. Like a, like, a, like a Flash game that's reminiscent of a SNES game at the same time. Kind of. I think more Genesis, actually. Um, yeah, I'll go along with that. Although yeah. that, I, that kind of period of time.
1: Yeah, and actually a lot of that as well is in the sound design. Um, there's something... Like, Genesis slash Mega Drive games have a certain kind of tonal sound to them that is quite tinny. Um... But at the same time, the bass does cut through as well. It's it's very weird with with uh, Genesis games. Like I I need to look more into how that sound chip works exactly. But it, it has a very unique sound to itself, and Spelunky kind of has that to a certain degree. Um, now with Spelunky, like honestly it's a game that you don't need the sound for you know most of the time that i was playing that come after the first like 10 hours of playing was with whatever else on in the background you mm. know it's very much a game where you can just play a couple of re- uh, uh, goes of trying to finish it but the sound is not, like, uh, crucial. Other than maybe um, when you have a damsel in distress... Like, they will call out. So that lets you know that they're nearby. If Even if you can't see them, like, within your peripheral vision. Mm. Um, the visual style is... Honestly, like, the thing with Spelunky... Is one of the games where... The sound and the, the, the visual design... Are not really what sets the game apart. Like, as I said at the beginning the game design and the mechanics of it is what makes the game what it is you know um like in terms of because it acts as a platformer as well um but it doesn't have that kind of floaty mario sort of style to it it's kind of a lot more anchored yeah so um and it has like full damage as well and you don't have like a particularly large distance you can fall from Mm -hmm. um but you can counteract that by certain Uh, items that you can pick up like a cape that slows your descent so you can land nice and safely um but the key thing about spelunky kind of as you were talking about with uh, breath of the wild is everything in that game wants to kill you Mm -hmm. in some form or fashion um and it's one of those games as well and this is kind of the the key thing about roguelikes is every time that you die you learn something yeah um binding of isaac is is trial and error it's very it's not even trial and error because half the time that you die it's not because of something that you were trying to do it's just because there was an arrow trap that you (laughs) didn't realize it's just error (laughs) like the first the first 50 times you play the game you will not realize that there was an arrow trap like that you just kind of fell through and just took you out but then you realize oh wait i can pick up this rock and then i can kind of ping it Drop it past the arrow trap, which will set the arrow trap off, mm. uh, which will also kill that spider over there, which is great. And now I have this area clear to move on to the next thing that I need to do. Um, you'll realise as well that there are these kind of abominable snowman snowmen uh, in the kind of frozen cavern, and if you get too near them, they will go for you. So you know, you're not. Know I'm going to leave those guys. The fuck alone. Uh, there are little kind of alien creatures in spaceships, and when you knock on them, the spaceship will go flinging and will explode. And if you're too close to that, that will fling you off in the other direction, and you'll probably fall into a bottomless pit and die. And that's what I love about this game. You know, they, it has the kind of little touches as well, and you constantly have to be thinking like, there are no two seconds in that game where you are safe. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know, you are constantly from beginning to end. Everything wants to kill you. You have you start off with four hits, and you can get more health by saving damsels. Um, but like pretty quickly, if a run
0: starts going bad, you're not you're not coming back from it. Finished off. Give me your concise sales pitch. Why should I go play this game? It's it's, it's coming out on Switch, isn't it? i don't know it's two i it's presume out i
1: well there's no sequel that i'm aware of this in the work so i presume just Splunky would be coming oh. out on switch it's the perfect device for it because i mean i've been playing on the vita for hmm. the last few years um spelunky is very much um a very influential game for a number of indie games that you see these days um there are the two big roguelikes that i think of over the last five years, Splunky and Binding of Isaac. I haven't spoken about Binding of Isaac yet. That will come in a, a later episode, no doubt. Hmm. Um, it takes elements of uh, platforming and um, even a little bit of kind of inventory management in some ways as well. Uh, but the satisfaction of uncovering what the game offers and actually beating that game. Um, are, are some of the most satisfying gaming moments I've had in the last five years, and I recommend anyone to go and see, I think his name was Bananasaurus Rex or Tinosaurus Rex, can't remember his name exactly but he was the first guy to do the fabled uh, eggplant speedrun,
0: which they do talk about in the Noclip documentary on on mysteries, they talk about the uh, eggplant and just to,
1: to quickly kind of explain, basically with the eggplant, that is like a very fragile uh, item And if you get knocked, it is destroyed. With that item, you can't use any other items, essentially. It
0: served no obvious purpose
1: uh, to people at the start. Other than for what you can do with it at the end of the game. And honestly, like, I've played that game for about 40 hours, 40 to 50 hours. I probably couldn't get to the end of the first world without dying Mm. uh, because of how much that item handicaps you. Uh so I would do that. And actually just go and watch people do speedruns of it because think about it. They're doing a speedrun of a game where no two levels are the same, you know. And they're the they're the really fascinating kind of speedrunners because they really go into explaining the the way the game is designed, um, in a way that I'm not even sure Derek you could do. Um I certainly couldn't do it. So yeah, just a really interesting game. Uh,
0: really big fan of it. One more bit of business. We've got to talk about what's going to be the game for next week. It is my turn. and I am going with an absolute classic, Mark. You're going to have to strap on the wrist tape, get the spandex out. D- because d- we doll. are going to talk about the greatest professional wrestling game ever made. And I will fight you. God damn it, I will fight you if you say otherwise. We didn't actually talk about Suda51 making a new Fire Pro Wrestling game. Oh, mercy me, that's going to be a good time. (laughs) We are going to be talking next week about an N64 classic. You all know where I'm going with this. It's WWF No Mercy looking yeah, forward to for that it's going to be great so that's episode 67 in the books we are linked to the cast linked to the cast.eu is the website go check us out there The this podcast drops every Thursday uh, you can check it out over at linked to the cast.eu uh, on iTunes or your podcast provider of preference look for us on there rate us uh, five stars give us a nice review we would love all of that shit Uh, social media we're facebook.com forward slash link to the cast or at link to the cast on the tweet machine those are the best ways to keep up to date on all the content that we are putting out Uh, SoundCloud is where the the podcast is hosted incidentally by the way so go to SoundCloud look for link to the cast or I think our URL is soundcloud.com forward slash link dash to dash the dash cast and you can find us on there Um, we have a weekly streaming schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday you're getting streams out of us that go uh when they're recorded live they go up on twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast so you can either subscribe to us on there or if you're already following us on Twitter we already we always send out a tweet when we're about to go live recording a stream on there um those streams are then archived released monday wednesday friday over on our youtube channel search for us on youtube link to cast all one word or separate whatever way you prefer to move through the world you do you son uh monday wednesday friday as i said monday is mark on mondays mark what have you been playing lately uh i actually streamed some last guardian um to give my impressions of it while playing so Where, where are we going next week
1: uh i'm not too sure um, I don't know whether I'll do more Last Guardian or like I'm, I'm kind of just whatever it tickles my fancy when I get home from work so um, it's kind of a free-for-all we'll for at the moment
0: it's a lucky dip kind of, kind of Yeah. Uh, Wednesday is uh, our linked Cast Plays series where we are doing a little mini-series at the moment I say mini-series it's going to sprawl on for quite some time it's called Retro Corner 64 where we are chronologically playing every Nintendo 64 game released in Western territories that we can get an, an English translation of to hand Mark, what have we been? What's 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 next up? We, is this week Wave Race or was that last week?
1: Uh, this week would be Wave Race, although Wave Race. I don't know if either of us have actually uploaded it yet. Good. So I should almost probably, had it. I'm I'm going to look now to see if that's actually been uploaded. And yeah. Then, yeah. Excellent. Yeah.
0: You check that out. Um. So that will hopefully be coming up. Uh this week or we will hopefully already be up by the time you listen to this Fridays is Friday of Plays that's my own solo stream and I am playing Life is Strange which is a um, if the Smiths made a video game <laughs> uh, and it was set in Twin Peaks that would be Life is Strange uh and, i'm not sure how i feel about that yeah i'm enjoying it quite a bit uh enjoying it quite a bit it's a it's a weird little game that i'm really enjoying the story of thanks to a friend of the show barry murphy for that recommendation anyway that is episode 67 of link to the cast in the books i've been dave ryan at dave ryan i've been on the tweet machine the man over there is mark robinson at lithium project on that same tweet machine uh it has been an absolute pleasure thanks for listening now fuck off i'm gonna play some zelda